This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, I'm excited once again to have a repeat guest with us on our podcast today. It's the first time we've ever done this, but uh, this man just has too much to say to fit into one podcast. And so we're, we have uh, David Murrow back with us again. I interviewed him uh, a while ago on his uh, very influential book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, and uh, lots of good stuff there, as we talked about. But uh, uh, but he's got a new book coming out that uh, is going to be very interesting. I've had a chance to read the uh, the manuscript before its release, and so uh, I've read this book. Um, and it's called Drowning in Screen Time, a lifeline for adults, parents, teachers, and ministers who want to reclaim their real lives. Uh, and so, David, welcome uh, back to our podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be with you again. Now, Dave, you've got lots of uh, lots of interesting statistics, a lot of alarming statistics and uh, insights, reports, and thoughts uh, in this book as it comes out. But uh, you, you begin your book by just kind of confessing your own addiction. You sort of come out of the closet here with us. Early <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, tell us, you know, because it's pretty innocent sounding, and yet uh, I think a lot of us can identify uh, with what you, you experienced. Yeah, you know, I'm the son of a screen addict. My father was that first generation of uh, men who was mesmerized by television. Uh, in the Murrow house, if we were home and awake, the TV was on. Hmm. We started every day with the Today Show, and we, and we ended every day with the Tonight Show. Hmm. And hmm. so television was just the background noise of my growing up, and, it, I, and as a result, I kind of hated it. I, it hmm. disgusted me. Hmm. So I didn't watch much television. Ironically, I went into the television business. <laughs> uh, I got a degree in communications from Baylor University, uh, got my first job in the TV business. And for 20 years, I produced probably as much television as I watched. I mean, I really didn't watch much TV. Hmm. Well, then my addiction came calling in the form of a laptop computer <laughs> and uh, wireless Internet. And I found myself, uh, this was around 2003, 2004, when Wi-Fi became a thing. And I found myself spending more and more time in my easy chair in the evening, just surfing the web and, uh, you know, looking at different websites. And there was there was starting to be streaming video at that point. And, I'm, and I wasn't even looking at inappropriate content. It, this wasn't like a pornography thing or anything. Uh, it was just the amount of time I was spending on my computer and time that I had used to that I had at once spent in, in the past had spent with my family mm. or perhaps in prayer or developing real life friendships. These mm. things were being displaced by my screen time. Mm. So um, it, took a, it took a family intervention on the part of my kids to say, yeah. Dad, you're ignoring us. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I began to hear stories of other men who were lost in video gaming mm. and other pursuits. And then of course, you know, online porn was just a huge thing for a lot of men where mm. they were getting addicted to their screens. And so, Having worked in the screen business for almost four decades now, I decided to go ahead and write a book from a Christian perspective because I am a, a believer in Christ. Uh, there's a lot of good secular books, but uh, not a, a ton of Christian books yet on this topic. And so I decided to write one to specifically to Christians and talk about just the full gamut of issues that we're dealing with screens and not just, you know, pornography, but also the amount of time that we're giving to screens for supposedly good pursuits that are diverting us from our true mission here on earth. Now, and, and so tell us, you, you list the average amount of screen time, the average American yeah. ha is watching now, because it's, it's really amazing. Uh, what, what, what? I can, 
Yeah, I can still hardly believe it myself, but the best number that we have recently came from Nielsen Media Research. Now, they're the gold standard of when it comes to screen research. They've been doing television research in the 50s. And they very confidently say that the average American spends nine hours a day uh, looking at their screens for entertainment. This doesn't include screen time for work hmm. or other required pursuits. So basically all Americans do anymore is get up, uh, get on their screens in the morning, uh, and then they work with their screens. And then when they come home, they watch television and surf the web. And all that adds up to nine hours a day. And so basically yeah. it is the, it, it's gone from being something that we kind of did a little bit in the evening uh, in the 1950s to pretty much all that we do these days. Mm -hmm. And now you, you uh, specifically use the word screen. Uh, you don't say their cell phone or uh, their mm -hmm. laptop. Right. And, uh, and so why, what all is in, in, encompassed in the, the term screen? Yeah, well, what's interesting is television is still the king of screen time. Yeah. Americans still watch more TV than anything else, which surprised me because, again, TV's not my thing. Hmm. But uh, the average American is watching about four and a half hours of television a day. And so then the other screens that we watch, of course, are our computers, our tablets, and our phones. And But what's interesting, the big shift came in 2007 when a skinny man in a black turtleneck walked mm. across a stage in Cupertino, California and introduced a device called the iPhone. Because up to this point, our screens were attached to the wall mm. or attached to something else, or they were at least bulky enough to be on a laptop. But now, for the first time, people were carrying screens around in their pocket. And that's really what's uh, contributed to the explosion of screen time. Because what we have now is a world where if we have a spare moment, we're on our screens. You see this in airports mm -hmm. uh, when people are sitting at the baggage claim or they're waiting for their flight. What are they doing? You know, they're not looking around. They're not engaged in conversation with their neighbor. They're on their screens. Mm -hmm. uh, if you see people on a bus or a train, they're on their screens. If they're riding in a car with someone else, they're not talking to the person in the driver's seat. They're on their screens. Mm. So because the, the screen goes with us everywhere, we find it very hard to resist. Mm -hmm. Well, to anyone of us who's, who've been in meetings, uh, you're <laughs> sitting around a boardroom table or some kind of setting, and uh, and now we're going to have a 15-minute break. And and it used to be that you then you turned to the person at the table sitting next to you and you said, well, what, what wasn't that good? Or what do you think of that? And now everybody in the room has immediately got their head down in their cell phone uh, checking to see what messages came in during that last hour. But uh, and you Now, you start off the book with uh, five different parables and uh, we don't have time to unpack all of those but uh there i thought it was an interesting way of uh is sort of introducing all the material that came afterward and uh and you have one about a fishbowl that i yeah. think is uh is interesting why don't you unpack that one for us well i want you to picture a small glass fishbowl and the fishbowl represents your total brain capacity now inside the fishbowl are uh ping pong balls and each ping pong ball represents something you need to think about. Your finances, your goals, your, your relationships, your work, your career, etc. Every one of them is a ping pong ball. Or maybe it's your schedule, something you have to do during a day. Most days my, my fishbowl is pretty full. I've got a lot of things I need to do. 
in in the times past before we had portable screens um even the busiest person the president of the united states or president of a corporation or or a busy executive or a, even you know a, a busy housewife or whatever there were always little if you picture between the balls there were little bits of airspace between the balls that was our downtime hmm. that was when our brain rested that's when we thought of great thoughts or that's when we maybe shot up a quick prayer to god or we meditated very quickly. We had these breaks in our, in our attention. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we carry smartphones around with us, we're not, we're not taking those breaks anywhere. We're never resting our brains. Our brains are under constant stimulation. It's like our brains are running a marathon every day mm-hmm. because if we have a spare moment, we go to our phones. Mm-hmm. Now there's a scientific reason for that. When we, uh, our brains are, as humans, our brains are wired for novelty. Mm-hmm. And when we see something new, we experience pleasure. Uh, and that comes in the form of dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter that causes pleasure for our brains. And so when we're surfing the web on our phones or we're looking at Facebook or Instagram or we're you know, shooting off an email or something, we're looking for that novelty, that squirt of pleasure in our brains. Mm. And our brains are simply becoming overstimulated. They're becoming overtired because our brains were not wired for novelty. They were wired for monotony. That's how life has always been. Hmm. And so we're seeing unprecedented levels of anxiety among young people that use their phones all the time. And people are saying, oh, people are anxious because they're being bullied online. Well, that's not really necessarily the reason. The reason they're so anxious is because they're constantly online and their brains are never resting. Hmm. Um, but uh, all this constant screen use is drowning out a spiritual disciplines we used to have, such as prayer and meditation. I can tell you, before I had a smartphone, I prayed more. Hmm. Uh, before I had a laptop, I prayed more in the morning. Hmm. Uh, but now it's a lot more interesting to check my Facebook feed than it is to check in with my creator. Huh. And so hmm. I'm confessing this to you right now as a weakness. And um, and I think it's it's weakening the church as well. Hmm. And you and you talk about the fact that, uh, you know, people like Facebook and so many of these social media uh, organizations, they they've they've learned a thing or two from the casino um to, to addict people, uh, to have them keep coming back. And, uh, it was interesting. You talked about, you know, if you, if you never won at the slot machines, uh, you, you, it wouldn't take long before you realize, boy, every time I put a coin in there, I always lose. Why would I keep doing that? So they've, they've devised a way to give you just enough wins periodically to keep you coming back and losing a lot more money. And uh, and some of that is is kind of the way that some of the social media is wired as well. It's we, I don't know that we realize how many billions of dollars have been spent uh, to get us addicted to social media. Yes. And, uh, you know, first of all, I'm not a, a social media alarmist. You know, I'm not going to you know claim that the social media companies are evil or anything like that. They're just businessmen. They're mm-hmm. just businesswomen. And their business is selling advertising. And so the way that their advertising becomes more valuable is to have people on their platform for longer. And so these savvy business people have adopted some of the technologies that and the techniques that Las Vegas casinos use to keep you engaged. They know just how much good news and how much bad news to give you. They know just who to put in your feed to make you click and respond and reply. That's why you t- on Facebook in particular, you tend to see the same people over and over again. Well, those are the people you've replied to in the past. And so Facebook is going to send you those people because they want you to stay engaged. 
Uh, they're also they also know that outrage is a very good way to keep people engaged. Twitter is the outrage capital of the world right now. People mm. get on there and they signal their virtue to one another mm. and uh, they, they gather their tribe and say, oh, look at these people, you know, how terrible they are. Look how good I am compared to them. And it's just this mutual grooming and approval and outrage machine. Mm. It's basically, you know, the publican and the Pharisee again. You know, Lord, it's all these Pharisees on, on Twitter saying, Lord, thank you for making me so smart and so righteous and and not like that other you know republican or democrat who's got all these terrible views and mm. uh, it's a it's a lot of uh, ego there mm. so yeah there's definitely some science that's gone into uh the the design of these platforms to keep you clicking and swiping and and outraged and unhappy and and because that's what that's what causes people to watch and that's what causes advertisers to want to advertise well and certainly uh there's uh, increasing studies to show how uh, the screen is affecting us uh you you mentioned w just even things like the fact that we weigh more than we did uh even just 18 20 years ago uh we're not a lot of Folks aren't sleeping as well with the blue light that's uh, bombarding our our eyes mm -hmm. even just before bedtime. Um, yes, and our, even our brain. Uh, you know, I I've got a, a a book I wrote with my dad on leadership that uh, with the revision is about 400 pages, and uh, and I've had I've had pastors, I've had leaders who desperately, desperately needed to take their leadership to another level, but uh, they could not, I mean, if literally their career uh, depended upon it, they would never be able to get through a 400-page book um, because we're now we're used to reading, you know, tweets. <laughs> at mo at <laughs> yeah. most, maybe just a, a short blog, but to sit down and read, uh, a, 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 you know, an in-depth, extensive, uh, you know, deep-thinking book is 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 almost beyond the capacity of many people today and a lot of that i think is because of the the screens aren't really designed for that you're not well yeah and i think this is one of the reasons cult christianity is under so much fire right now is because to explain the truth claims of Christianity, you need time. You mm. need nuance. You, you know, I mean, it, it's very easy to tear down Christianity in 280 characters. Hmm. If God, yeah. if if there really was a loving God, why does he allow suffering? Hmm. Okay. You can, get that into 200, <laughs> you can get that into a tweet, okay? <laughs> the explanation you can't do in 20, 280 characters. The explanation makes sense. You know, I mean, C.S. Lewis, Ravi Zacharias, there's some great thinkers who can lead us through, yes, this is the problem with pain and suffering, but you can't put that on Twitter. Hmm. So these sorts of outlets that are based on small, short sharing of information, uh, they discriminate, or I don't know if that's the word, but they, they militate against uh, long contemplative thought. And that's, that's causing a, what I would say is a dumbing down of our culture and an unwillingness to probe ideas in depth. Because again, we're we're flitting from website to website like rats in search of cheese, looking for that dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to read something, you know, thick and involved like you know Richard Blackaby's new book or <laughs> C.S. Lewis or whatever, I'm going to have to sit down and commit to staying with something for a while. And our brains just aren't that we're raising a generation that's just not used to that. Richard and Daniel Blackaby will be at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove on May 17th through 19th, 2021. The title of this event is On the Move, How God Increases Your Spiritual Influence. It was originally scheduled to be held this year, but due to COVID-19, has been rescheduled. You can find out more and register at thecove.org. Links will also be in the show notes. 
And now you talk about warring tribes, and uh, I wonder. I, I, I certainly uh, social media has had a, a has contributed to that. It, when you know, like you said, Twitter really is designed for things to be black or white. You're uh, you're for me, or you're against me, but the, the the nuance takes more more time, and and it seems like that middle ground is is being lost. Now it's just. Uh, all your friends uh, like you and follow you and uh, like what you you post and uh, and and you all criticize what someone else posted uh, mm-hmm. and right. it, and it seems like it's this polarization of society uh, in part I think is because that's social media is certainly playing a part in that. Yeah, well, there's always been extreme views in the culture, but there's never been a way to get them out there. Um, I think I use the example in the book. If you were an extreme right winger in the 1970s, you your only outlet was a monthly newsletter from the John Birch Society. Hmm. And mm-hmm. if you were extreme left winger, you waited for your monthly copy of the American Socialist. But the other 29 days of the month, you were exposed to more moderate content. Hmm. You know, maybe some of it leaned a little bit left, some of it leaned a little bit right, but it wasn't as as polarized as we have it today. Today, you can find the most incredible conspiracy theories on both the left and the right and huge followings for those conspiracy theories. You can find tribes that will affirm you in, you know, I I use the example of a guy who claims to be a dragon. (laughs) Uh, He's part of the other the other kin movement. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in times past, you know, he couldn't have found a tribe. Mm. Now that we have online interaction, he's found people that are paying for his plastic surgery to turn him into a dragon put horns on his head mm-hmm. and uh it's it's just what social media has done it's allowed us to contact our old friends from high school but it's also uh allowed extremists to find affirmation for their extreme views mm-hmm. and that's really the danger to society is that we can really spin off out of control and we can find a chorus that applauds us for doing so mm. and just certainly speaking about danger you you do address pornography and you also address predators and two uh, really those are probably two of the more disturbing chapters in your book uh, mm-hmm. and there's and there's things uh, you know you you pull stuff out from your research that uh, you know the, the average person like myself I, I, I had no idea some of that stuff it's uh, you you don't you don't want to know about some of the stuff that goes on uh, in right. those dark places but uh, you know, I, it, in fact, I think you even have a, a warning at one point to say some of this is pretty disturbing. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you need to know this. Um, and uh, what, you know, I, I, I guess I, I'm thinking particularly with uh, parents and, and you, you, you know, you especially at the end, you, you do give some practical guidance to parents. But there are some dangers there. I mean, men uh, and I know men that, uh, boy, they. Uh, I, I know one guy just he he keeps a flip phone because he he can't trust himself uh, with pornography. He got into it and now he's trying to limit himself where it's not as accessible as it, it used to be. Um, and uh, it's it just opened up uh, if you have an addiction or uh, uh, leaning in some ways, uh, the, the screen is making every temptation that you might have much more accessible than it ever was before. And uh, predators that might have had to be stalking street corners near the public school, now they can be on the other side of the country and stalking your teenage daughter who you think is just upstairs in her bedroom right now. Yeah, well, that, and you've just put your finger on it. Your child is in far more danger in her, locked in her bedroom behind a locked door 
if she has an unmonitored internet connected device, hmm. then she would be that's in a public park, you know, at 11 o'clock at night. Hmm. She's far more like thousands of times more likely to be contacted by a predator in her bedroom than she would be in a public park. Hmm. It's interesting. You know, society's gone absolutely bonkers on protecting children's physical safety. They're throwing parents in jail for letting their 10 year olds play alone in a park. Hmm. Yet we give our seven-year-olds access unfiltered access to the internet and say good luck hmm. uh, when the danger is much greater that they're going to be groomed or uh, permanently they're going to see things they can never unsee yeah and i just can't imagine the cascade of mental health issues that are going to be coming for when children see things and are exposed to ideas or possibly even people that are just terribly, you know, bad for them. Mm. So, yeah, parents, I mean, you don't need to be paranoid, but you need to be prepared. And mm. uh, one, of the, one of the concrete things that I uh, advise is even when your kids are, you know, tiny or in the womb, you need to get a, a screen plan together for how you're going to deal with uh, screen content, and then you need to be absolutely stick with it. Mm. Because uh, even if your kids don't have Internet-connected devices, their friends do. Yeah. And you're going to need to be ready for them to be exposed to these things. And uh, th this this availability is uh, it's not a good thing. And, and as Christians, we need to be discerning and we need to be prepared. And, you know, as you say, I mean, th th these are neutral. These are tools uh, and they're and so mm -hmm. they're, they're morally neutral. It, it, it's it's right. like a hammer. You know, it's a positive thing if you're building a house. It's a negative thing if you're hitting someone in the head with it. Uh, right. It's just a neutral tool that can be abused. Um, and, uh, and and for people like you and me, uh, just because of the work we do, uh, we, we monitor social media uh, sites and things to get messages out uh, for our ministries and our messages uh and uh, and so you know I, I I'm I'm kind of like you. I, there's uh, one or two shows on TV that I watch pretty well. Period. Uh, and uh, so I'm not a big TV watcher. Uh, but you know, and I wouldn't call myself necessarily a big uh, you know web surfer either. But uh, but you you know you 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 go to you you posted something earlier in the day and you you see there's a bunch of comments and. You go to check those, and, um, and then you know someone else has posted something that's uh, a diatribe, and uh, you and you can't believe that person is uh, coming out and speaking that way. And the next thing you know, thirty minutes uh, has gone by that's been just completely wasted. <laughs> and right. you think I had so much I needed to do, and now I'm going to have to go to bed tonight. And I never did get that book read or that uh, email answered, or um, but I. How much time did actually over the course of the day of just searching or just checking Facebook or whatever else, uh, how much time ended up being just completely wasted with not an ounce of productivity at all to it? Um, and so, I mean, even people like, for, like I'd say for myself, I'm not a paragon of virtue necessarily in the, in, in that whole world, but I, I'm just, I, I wouldn't see myself as someone that's just a video addict. I don't watch a lot of movies or anything. And yet I, Boy, I, I can I can see time be wasted pretty quickly as well, um, and so you you have some I think some real helpful suggestions uh, that I think just even you know and and, I, and that's why I say even if you don't think you have a problem, even if you don't you know you're not addicted to pornography or something like that, uh, I think still I, what your book said to me was everybody if you're going to operate in the modern world. 
uh, and have any kind of screen device at all, uh, you, you've got to come up with a plan and you've got to be proactive about how you approach that and not reactive. And so maybe just share just a couple of the just practical ways for the average person who just has a cell phone and a laptop uh, is on a couple of social media platforms. But uh, what, what, what's just some counsel you'd give them, maybe just some practical things they could do to, to be healthy about their use in these things? Yeah, well, let me start off by saying you and I are actually friends on Facebook. That that's how we got acquainted. So oh yeah, that's, yeah. That was. Yeah. I'd say so some, some of the puns happen. <laughs> well, so, some of the puns you post are pretty toxic. So, I've I've, I've thought about unfriending you. <laughs> yeah, I I get I I got a message the other day from my oldest son about one of my puns. And I thought, oh, finally he's coming over, uh, and and he just said, Dad, did you forget to take your medication? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty bad, but uh, but uh, no, ser- seriously, um, I would say that uh, y- most people are spending more time on their screens than they realize. Hmm. Uh, when we stand before the th- judgment throne of God, <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, give an account for my time and say, "Well, Lord, I really didn't have time to love my neighbor because I was watching, you know, television or." posting on Facebook trying to convince somebody to change their political views. It, hmm. it, there's, just, there's just no value in that, as you said earlier. Hmm. So one of the first things you need to do is, is install some sort of uh, software that tells you how many hours you're spending and just look at the truth. Uh, every Apple device comes with a, a screen time monitor and just turn it on. Hmm. And every Sunday I get a report. And Am mm-hmm. I up? Am I down? How am I spending my time? Hmm. Um, if you do find that you're spending an inordinate amount of time on your devices, then you need to have the courage to come up with a plan. And, you know, I'm going to be putting those on my new website, um, uh, different plans that you can do to, to whittle down your screen time. Oftentimes you can solve the problem just by uh, reclaiming those little moments in your life, like the, the airspace between the ping pong balls, as we mm-hmm. were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Problem is people are pouring screen time in and it's displacing those little, you know, it's like pouring water on top of the ping pong balls. It's displacing those empty spaces in their time. Mm-hmm. If you can just reclaim those, like when you get to the baggage claim at the airport, instead of whipping mm-hmm. out your phone, just look around at people and think about what you need to be doing or pray for folks or offer to help them with their bags. You know, just be the hands and feet of Jesus more consciously instead of being absorbed in this artificial world. Hmm. Uh, when you come home at night, uh, in, actively, you know, turn music on in the room instead of television. Hmm. There's so many simple things that you can do. And, you know, I've, I've packed my book with these sort of, uh, with, yeah. with these very, very easy to implement solutions that will help you reclaim more of your time. Hmm. If you are, if you find yourself severely screen addicted, you may need to do a digital detox. And my book talks about how you can do that. Hmm. Uh, those you can get out of town, you can do them in town. Uh, there's lots of different people who are doing digital detoxes. I'm planning to be doing them in 2021. Hopefully if we can gather again after this virus is conquered Hmm. and, uh, and you know, it's just, it's, you know, we only have one life We're you know, we have our three score and 10 years on this earth. And, uh, you know, I want to use those years productively. I want to use them to benefit mankind. That's my attitude. And I think that's the attitude of many Christians. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we want to use them in pursuit of the go- the goals that Jesus has given us. And so it's incumbent upon us to use the majority of our time wisely. And that's time in the real world and not as much time in the screen world. Hmm. Well, and you talk about things like just sab- you know, taking the Sabbath of of uh, just 
turning off the the, the cell phone uh, even for over a weekend or certainly at meal times. I know that's one of the most troubling things. You and you even go to a restaurant and you see a couple eating out and they're both on their looking at their cell phones, not talking to each other and. You just think, uh, I, I don't know that we realize just how bad it is uh, sometimes. Uh, that, that yeah, it, that, there's there's actually a word for that. It's called fubbing. Oh, really? And, yeah, phone snubbing, fubbing. Oh. And then, uh, the, I, yeah, there's even couples on dates where the guy, if it's not going right, the guy will excuse himself, go to the bathroom, and never come back. That's extreme fubbing. Mm. And he'll go and he'll swipe for another date. I mean, it's just... The, the the phones have have completely because they've given us such great access to each other they have they are uprooting the natural social interactions that we've had that we've developed over the thousands of years hmm. and we are ill prepared for a lot of these changes um so i would just I, I would exercise extreme caution as you adopt new screen technologies and you need to be very cognizant of the need to remain attached to real life Mm. Because that, you know, the people who know how to navigate real life are the the people who are going to uh, succeed at life and and achieve the most in life and be the most satisfied in life and and really be uh, the most productive for the kingdom of God. Well, those you, who still know how to do that. And you and you talk a lot about just, you know, the way it's changing, the way we even just relate to socially. And I, I know there a lot of parents are concerned about their kids who uh that they they don't know how to almost talk face to face with friends anymore people they uh they just know how to text them or to facebook that time them or something but uh i, I i'll yeah. never i'll never forget uh my daughter when she was a, like a young teenager had a bunch of her girlfriends over to the house and i was going to drive all the kids home and we're in a small town i was just making the loop and dropping these kids off so i so my daughter went with me and and uh, th- th- I've got a car full of teenage girls, and no one says a word. They're just quiet. Uh, and uh, drop them all off. I didn't know if they'd had a fight or <laughs> something went south for them, and th- no one's talking. But we get them all dropped off. I go back to the house, and the next thing I see, my daughter is on her. She's typing away on on her laptop. I said, "Well, who who are you messaging?" Well, it was all those girls. I said, "Well, you <laughs> you were just in a car with them. You didn't say a word." But like she's typing frantically and they're messaging away and I I just wondered what is what is happening to this generation that uh, you could be literally in a car with someone and not say a word and then spend 2 hours in a in a chat uh afterward on your laptop. Uh, you know, you know I was talking to a youth leader and he said there's a real difference and he he's been a youth leader for many years and he said just in the past 10 years uh, it used to be that the screen world was artificial and real life was, or was the screen world was secondary and real life was primary. Hmm. But in this generation of kids, screen life is primary and real life is secondary. Hmm. And so when we ask them to put their phones down, we're asking them to leave what they perceive as real life as their priority hmm. and go into a world that feels artificial to them. Hmm. Now, if that doesn't chill you to the bone, yeah, I mean, what? Is, how are these kids going to interact with their bosses, with spouses, when everything they've done has been mediated through a screen? Hmm. It's 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 not going to be good for society. It's not going to be good for those kids, and it's certainly not going to be good for the kingdom. No, and when a bunch of those uh, media games and so on uh, have been designed to help them win and be successful and always be the hero, <laughs> and then they go into the real world, that's not set up that way 
Uh, yeah, it, it they this that's one of the things that you put your finger on right there is that the screen world is designed around our preferences, our desires. I mean, there are things called algorithms. Mm -hmm. And what algorithms do is as we click on different things or we look at different products or we, we embrace different ideas online, the algorithms give us more of that. And they reinforce because they're trying to sell us more stuff. They're trying to give us more things that we're interested in. And so what happens is, is we create what, what I call in the book a digital kingdom. And within the walls of that kingdom, everything tends to either agree with us, agree with us or cause us to be outraged and respond. Hmm. But, but we curate this kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing, we, we, we see the rise of what are called snowflake young individuals. These are kids who grew up in this digital world, a world that, that conformed to their desires, a world that only gives them what they preferred. Mm -hmm. And so when they get into the real world and they, see, they encounter attitudes and they encounter speakers that they don't agree with, they try to do in the real world what they were always doing in the screen world, and that's cancel. Hmm. This is the origin of cancel culture hmm. is they, they're trying to unfriend, unclick, uh, not like hide because that's what you can do in the screen world. Hmm. And so it's the, the it's a very disturbing development. Kids hmm. believe in free speech as a principle, but they've been so trained by their screens to live within their digital kingdoms that when something comes into that kingdom that they want to expel, they exile it. Wow. And they, they're, as a result, they're becoming, you know, snowflakes and not very resilient. And, and I'll, I'll bet you, you know, you probably know some young people who would confirm that. Yeah. Well, and, and tragically, you're seeing, especially among uh, teenage girls, uh, record setting uh, depression, suicide rates these days. Uh, and so much of that is, is linked in with, uh, I think, in part, uh, trying to navigate between the screen world and the real world. That, um, and uh, it's becoming very very painful, very confusing to a lot of young people. You, you look at these kids that have a great, uh, you know, standard of living. Uh, and many things have all the, the the tools, all the toys, and yet severely depressed. And um, you just you know that so much of the screen time has convinced them that life should be one way, and then that's not how their real life is turning out. And uh, so certainly lots of things to think about and. Uh, Great, great new resource from a Christian perspective. Lots of practical tools. Uh, David just has a way of always sort of uh, zeroing right in on real issues that everybody knows uh, just uh, by experience to be true, that they're seeing and experiencing, and then uh, just having some uh, great ways of encapsulating those and, uh, and, and helping come up with some approaches and answers. And so, David, this is always, it's good to talk with you and to hear just your perspective. I'm really excited about this new book uh, coming out. Uh, we'll have all the, the ways to, to get that book uh, in the, the show notes as well, so uh, you can find a way to get hold of that. But uh, And I would say certainly as a parent um, and just as a person that just wants to be in control of your life and not squander uh, the most precious thing you have, which is your time, uh, this is a great book um, to get and just to take time to prayerfully pray through this and uh, to think about it and, and take some time to evaluate. You, you may not, you, you might be, as he uh, shared in his opening story in his book, um, you might not think that it's an issue for you, but uh, take a look at the next uh, report that comes out on how much time you spent um, in, uh, on, on, on the screen, and it might appall you uh, when you begin to think of other ways you might have used that same time. So, Dave, thanks for being with us, and I pray God blesses you and the ongoing ministry and uh, this book, and uh, look forward to talking to you again.
Thank you very much. And and to your listeners, thank you. Uh, I should tell you, Richard wrote the foreword for my book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, a very good little foreword. So actually, his uh, wonderful prose appears before mine in the book. <laughs> so if you want some good content, read the first part, and then you can struggle through the rest. Uh, so you, there's at least one nugget in there, then you'll find there's for sure. There's one nugget in there written by a Blackaby, yeah. So. I, was, I was glad to do it, and I hope that uh, yeah. this book gets a lot of uh, reading and uh, has a a wide influence for years to come. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show and for helping with the book. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.